Thank you. Um, <laughs> anybody? How many people in here is married? How many are, were, what? Is commitment important in a marriage? Why? I've said this before. It makes no sense to me. It makes, me, it makes my head hurt that I hear these, um, and I'm just going to throw out some names here, okay? Um, the Jenner clan, what's, their, what's those people's names? Who? Kardashians. Kardashians, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, I keep up with them. Um, uh, bless her heart. Taylor Swift, and all the, you know. And I'm, I'm, I'm picking out ladies because, generally speaking, ladies, the guy's role is to protect, right, and to defend, honor. And um, do y'all remember, well, let me get back to this. I hear these ladies say things like, you know, I don't even know how they say it, like free sex, if you will, right? Like sex is no big deal, you know. Even some of well, God made it, all that kind of stuff, right? If commitment's not really that big of a deal, why are you upset because your boyfriend is hooked up with an, another girl? If it's just a thing, if it's just a, something to do, right? I mean, back to Bill's comment about our kids, you know, their slang term, hooking up, right? Oh, you know, just hook up. Well, that's like the farthest thing from my mind, you know, when I was younger. I mean, I'm not going to be naive or, or lie and say it never crossed my mind, but it was like I never would have dreamed of being like, let's just go find some girls and hook up, man. First of all, if my mom ever found out, she'd kill me, right? And so I'm like, oh, my goodness, right? But I see these kind of, and I go, where are, these, where are these standards? I mean, a lot of these people are coming out of Christian homes. So commitment is important. We have to have commitment. We have to have committed relationships, Right? We're committed as friends even, right? It doesn't even have to be like a husband and wife. We have committed friends. We have things that we commit to. Now, most importantly, are we going to commit to the gospel? Are we going to commit to be a good son and a good daughter in the kingdom? So commitment's important. Luke 14, 25, 26, I think of. Oh, definition of commitment. You know Monty's deal here. The state or quality of being dedicated to a cause, activity, etc. I love this second part. An engagement or obligation that restricts freedom of action. Well, I thought God was all about freedom. He is. But just because you can don't mean you should. Right? I have people tell me all the time, well, I just need some more money. I said, go rob a bank. You can't rob a bank. Yeah, you can. And if you get caught, the consequence is going to be bad. But we don't equate that to like this. There are things that Jesus said, listen, <clears throat> You shouldn't do these things. And it wasn't because he was trying to rain on our parade. He's trying to say, listen, there, if you do these things, they're going to lead to a consequence in your life that you're not, you, you really don't want, right? And so when we're committed to something, if <clears throat> that thing that we're committed to says, hey, don't or do, it could restrict us in what we can or can't do, right? Um, I'll just use an easy one. Um, can you get drunk? Can you get drunk? Okay. What does the Bible say about that? It said you shouldn't get drunk, right? So it can, it can restrict your freedom to do something, right? And I just, I'm just throwing it out there to say, hey, 
<clears throat> now, we've turned it into all kinds of things that it's not. And don't get me wrong, we, a lot of us grew up in churches that all we heard was the don'ts, right? Instead of the do's, right? And after you hear all the don'ts for so long, you just get beat down like a whoop pup and your tail's between your legs all the time and your ears are you know, laid back and you're like, I don't even know if I want to do this anymore, right? So there is things that God tells us that we should be doing. <clears throat> so, in commitment, that is the absolute definition. Now, um, we see the word commitment, and we can see this. Uh, actually, let me, um, yeah, this is commitment. So in the Greek, um, prokartiero, it means towards, interactively with, Show steadfast strength derived from 2909, which means prevailing strength, properly to consistently showing strength which prevails in spite of difficulties. To endure, remain firm, staying in a fixed direction. To continue to do something with intense effort, with a possible implication of, uh, dis- in, with a possible implication of despite difficulty, to devote oneself to, to keep on, to persist in. What does that mean? We do it even if it's at our own detriment. When Jesus says, hey, will you do this? And you go, oh, I don't want to. I see that lady in Walmart, but I don't want to pray for her. Right? Um, hey, go tell those people about my love. Tell those people, oh, God, really? Really? I mean, right here in Colton's, they're eating, Lord. You see what I'm saying? I mean, and I'm being light. I'm, I mean, I'm not trying to get into, I'm just trying to give you some kind of idea like what God's saying here. When we commit to something, we will move heaven and earth to make sure it happens, right? I mean, I'm surprised at the people. Don't take offense to this if, if you've done this or it's happened to you. I'll just, I'll just pick on sports people because I, I, we did it, right? We're committed, which means, hey, are you guys going to be, well, no, we've got a ball game. You know, we've got we to gotta go to the ball game. We've got to do, you know, that's commitment. Um, you gave up family time, um, birthdays, anniversaries, whatever, to go play ball. You're committed to that, whether you like to admit that or not. Well, we, you know, it's our family activity. Okay, how much spiritual value are you getting out of it, right? And I'm not saying that to be mean. I mean, we do it with all kinds of things. We do it with vacations. I mean, some people go for two weeks at a time. How crazy is that? So, <laughs> and it's great. That's what Gary said, and it's great. <laughs> But they will. I mean, they'll travel all over the world and maybe hit church twice in a year. And they'll be like, well, we're committed. We watch okay. Right. You're excused. We give you, we're going to give you back your points that we took away. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, they, but do you understand what I'm saying? And we commit to all kinds of things, but are we committed? Are we committed to the kingdom? Are we committed to the scriptures? Are we committed? I mean, let me ask you this. Since we're talking about it, are you as committed as a Muslim? Are you as committed as a Mormon? Are you as committed as a Jehovah Witness? I mean, don't get me wrong. Those people are committed for the wrong reasons, okay? But I'm just saying, if you want to see an example of commitment, I mean, these people, these Jehovah Witnesses get on bicycles and stuff, and they wear black suits with a big old badge. I mean, they just got a target on them, right? (laughs) All of them, yeah. (laughs) The cars are like, I mean, you know, whoa, Yep. 
Yep. Face Mecca and start praying, right? So I mean, they're committed. Here's one thing I can say about Bernie Sanders. Um, he'll tell you exactly how he feels and what he's going to do. I'm diametrically opposed to it, but at least he doesn't wishy-washy. He just tells you, I'm for communism. I'm for this. I'm, you know, at least you'd be like, well, at least the guy's telling us what he's going to do, right? He's not talking out of both sides of his mouth. So, by the way, that's an American idiom, okay? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, what about gangs? You know, these people that join gangs and stuff, they want to be a part of something, right, that's bigger than them. So they're like, I'm going to go join a gang. Uh, commitment means that certain decisions are made in advance, irrespective of the circumstance. When I read the scriptures, and the scriptures tell me I need to do this, I make my decision then. I will honor Christ, whatever the pain and whatever the cost, I will obey God's word, even when that is the hardest thing to do. That's commitment. When I go, okay. Do we do it all the time? Nope. Thank God for repentance and for... His love and mercy and grace. And man, oh, I missed that one, right? Man, I missed that one. God, you got to help me. Holy Spirit, keep prompting me. You know, keep whooping me, all right? I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. So he loves us. Um, Luke, we'll go there. <clears throat> Luke uh, 14. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciples. That's hard. You know, Jesus had this knack of saying hard things and then walking off. Like, I guess the original mic drop, okay? Like, he'd be like, you want to be on my disciples? You got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? And everybody's like, what? <laughs> then he would say stuff like this. And we in the American culture, we read this and we go, wait a minute. I heard this, people. The Bible's full of a uh, bunch of uh, contradictions. Jesus says he's supposed to be love stuff, and yet he's telling people, if you don't hate your mom and dad, you have no idea what you're talking about. The best thing for you to do is not fulfill Scripture, and that would keep your mouth shut and let people think you're smart instead of opening it and showing how dumb you really are, right? Yeah. Hey, man, bro. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, if you look this word up, love, or excuse me, hate right here, there again, it has to be defined by context. What, what, what is the author talking about? One of the biggest words that this hate means is to love less. It's not a, it's not a, um, a hate like God hates sin, okay? It's a hate like love less. <clears throat> What's he saying? If you, if your dad says, well, I don't think Jesus is this or that, or your mom says, or your brother or whatever, they have a different, I don't think I need that Jesus junk, and you go, yeah. Or you side with them when they say, you know what, hey, look, man, I know we ain't married, I know this, I know, but it's okay. And you go, yeah, I guess, I guess you're, I mean, really, technically, no. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you're trying to make excuses for them, you're not going to be my disciple. Because my word is true. My word is right. My word is the final authority. Right? And it's not about using this to beat people over the head, but it's saying, no, listen. If I don't love less my father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, okay, aunts, uncles, all that stuff is inferred in here, <clears throat> you cannot be my disciple. What's he saying? You've got to commit to this thing. You can't be wishy-washy. 
I know two families right now that are so backwards because their kids got into some heap of trouble. And I mean, there was drugs and there was running from the law. There was uh, promiscuous relationships. There was babies out of web. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. So the mom and dad made a decision in their hearts that everybody was okay. And I'm like, no, they're not okay. And so they begin falling away, if you will, from the scriptures. And they started making up in their own minds. Well, I think God's okay. I think his grace, I think his, careful, that's the greasy grace we've been talking about, right? The sloppy agape. And that's not, that's not how God does things. So we see this. Um, it says here, too, he says um, that, these are his friends, right? He said, you can't be my friend in, in one translation. <clears throat> it says, a friend is someone dearly loved in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant held dear in a close bond of personal affection. Can I say this? When we see the word friend here, we should think of covenant, okay? Like salt covenant. That's a friend, okay? And what Jesus is saying is that you can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. Because by being a friend of the world, you become at yes of God, okay? So what's he saying? You can't come to church on Sundays and praise the Lord and then Monday through Saturday live like hell, right? You go, well, am I still saved? Am I still? That's not the point. The point is, do you even know what you've done? Do you even know what you did when you said yes to Jesus did you just have an experience? Did you just, man, you got caught up in the Billy Graham crusade, and before you knew it, your hand went up, and you went to the front? Or you was like Brother Bill there, he was chasing girls. Yeah. <laughs> you told me. <laughs> she was, I didn't tell the whole story, Bill. <laughs> he was honest. He said, I went down front because she went down front. There's, there's probably a lot of guys in here that can say that, you know what I'm saying? That's right. Yeah, you did say that too. You had them white knuckles going. <laughs> okay. He had them white knuckles going. Yeah. 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 Four girls pull this crazy old. Uh, we, we better not talk bad about Pastor Larry. Yeah. If you didn't know it, your pastor was one of the first people to bring acid into Fort Smith. He would make trips to L.A. and go get acid and bring it back and sell it and all kinds of stuff. And So we've had some discussions about all that. He got in a, um, a gunfight with him down there and blew out some windows. And Joker was a, he was a hellion. Yeah. He was, went to the Marine Corps and they made him a cook. And if you know anything about the military, like that's the worst of the worst, right? He wanted to go to Vietnam so bad because he didn't want to be a cook. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. This is Pastor Larry, Miss, Mrs. Jean's husband that was a pastor here. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So he, he, uh, he told me a story about him falling asleep on his, on his mop because he'd go to L.A. and party all night and then catch the train back and basically go to his barracks, change clothes, and go to work, right? And no sleep and... Anyway, his gunny came in one day and told him, he said, Beam, you're getting your, you're getting your wish. You're going to Vietnam. You're going to be a machine gunner. You know, and he was like, I didn't know that the life expectancy of a machine gunner was 17 seconds. 
And so anyway, um, but we talked, we, yeah. So, that, I mean, there again, talking about Scalia not having a God experience, you're like, man, how did Larry not have one, right? So just to give you a little bit, I don't think Miss Gina might be telling, but he told me, he said uh, he remembered running. They, they got ambushed. They were about, was it about four months in country? They weren't there very long, four or seven months, something like that. He hadn't been there very long, <clears throat> and they were out on patrol, and they got ambushed. And so they were yelling, get the gun up, and as he was running... Yeah, and he stepped on a, ended up stepping on a landmine, and um, probably what was a, what they what they call a bouncing Betty. I don't know if y'all ever heard that term, but um, they would they would blow up and come out of the ground, and then they would blow up about three feet high off the ground, so the shrapnel would go out in a pattern and, and just tear people up. <clears throat> and it did; it tore him up big time. Uh, I think he said it blew all his teeth out of his head. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They hit him. Up. I think he said he took two rounds of seven six two, and he said that was pretty much it. He was he was done. But he said I remember um, they called for a medevac, and um, they didn't have one. Actually, I think a medevac said no, we're not coming into that place. So they had to take him out in a gunship, and so he said he remembered he would. He would come to, and he said, I remember the canopy, you know, like they were carrying me. The guys were taking me to the chopper. And I'd come to, and I'd kind of pass back out, and two, and pass back out, and two, and pass back out. So they loaded me in the chopper, and he said, I remember looking at the Marine pilot's face, like, this dude ain't going to make it. Right? And he said, he looked at me, and he said, hey, we've got some Marines pinned down, and you give them some suppressing fire. You're going to be okay. And he said, I just gave him a thumbs up. He said, I'm, I'm choking them on blood. My teeth are all missing stuff. He said, literally, his, his entrails were outside of him. You know, they're putting his entrails back in him and keeping him moist and stuff. And so, <clears throat> anyway, so he gets to the chopper, and as they're flying, they're, the machine gunner, long story short, is firing. He takes a 50 cal round. It splits him in half. Dumps half of him out of the helicopter, half of them on Pastor Larry. And Larry said, I don't remember nothing that. I passed out. I was screaming, trying to get this guy off of me. So he wakes up in the Da Nang hospital, and he said, I have a tube in every orifice of my body in some places I didn't even know I had. He said, there's tubes everywhere. And that night, they shelled the hospital or by the hospital the airport and some fell short and blew him out of his bed and yanked all them hoses out and he had to go back into surgery <laughs> he said I thought I ain't never getting out of this place and then when he finally left and went to Okinawa uh, when they got him in Okinawa they had an earthquake there and he said my bed was like going all over he said I'm, I'm never making it home right but he did you know <laughs> and so yeah yeah Yeah, <laughs> to glorify him, yeah. 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 We had a little camaraderie. Yeah. We had a few things in common. If you ever notice, he didn't wear, like, shorts and stuff, and he had big old places. He told me one time, he said, put your hand right here. And I'm like, should I be rubbing on your leg like this? <laughs> but big old divot, 
you know, and his leg were just hunks of meat missing and stuff, you know. And uh, I called him the Marlboro Man because he, you know. Yeah. He had, that ear he had almost cut off and stuff and scars on his face. I said, you're the Marlboro Man. He said, I used to smoke Marlboros. <laughs> but after that, that set him up for a, a, a long road, you know. I mean, it, this started back when he was 10 years old, though, and he got on his dad's dozer and ran it through a house or clipped the side of a house. And I'm telling you, that, that man, whoo, bless his parents, amen. So, yeah, he was spoiled. So in this commitment idea, when he's talking about a friend, he's talking about somebody that we can find things into. He's not talking about the general idea of a friend, okay? Your 957 friends on Facebook is not what he's talking about here, okay? Unless you're listening to them, all right? Probably the seven people, you know. Generally speaking, if we stopped and said, how many friends do you have in your life? You'd probably initially say, I don't know, maybe 50 or so, 20, whatever. But if you started really thinking about, like, what is a friend? Let me think. And probably most of you can count them all on one hand. You know, if you have five friends, you're doing exceptional. And what I mean by five friends is somebody you can go to and tell them pretty much anything. And they can do the same thing, right? We just don't, we don't have friends like that. And Jesus is saying, this is the kind of friend that I want to be to you and I want you to be to me, right? Where we can talk about things. But what do we do? We run from God because we're afraid of his punishment, right? And God's like, look, I'm not here to punish you. I'm here to correct you, but I'm not here to punish you. I'm coming back to punish there's going to be some punishment laid out. I'll say this just to give you a little tidbit. You can argue with me all you want. It won't matter. Um, We're in the grace period right now, but we will see the judgment. We will see a judgment part of this. Now, I don't think we're going to see the bad stuff, but God is going to judge. He's judging the earth. He's judging us. And what I mean by that is this. We're in this grace period right now, okay? When we see certain things start happening, even like this war on Israel, uh, my professor said, and I was like, wow, okay. Um, I, uh, so those of you who don't know, on Mondays, I zoom into uh, Jerusalem to uh, Hebrew class. And my professor, we were asking him, hey, are you guys okay? Are you okay? Is your family okay? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's interesting is we have, I think he's a Jordanian. We have a Jordanian guy in the class, and he speaks fluent uh, Arabic. But he's learning Hebrew. Um, and so he was very cautious, he being my professor, not to be like Israel, Palestine. He said, look, you guys came here to learn Hebrew. I don't want to take your time. You know, and we're like, no, no, no. And he says, he said, well, and he started to say something. He kind of held back. And so um, Chalid, uh, the guy that's from uh, uh, Jordan, he said, no, we want to know. And I thought, oh, man, this might, this could probably turn ugly. And Chalid's a real nice guy. I mean, just listen to him talk. And he brings a lot of things to class. And um, he said, well, he said, you know, we just came out of Rosh Hashanah where we um, uh, think about the new year and all that kind of stuff. And he said, we just came out of Yom Kippur where we make atonement, where we start talking about our, our forgiveness and our repentance. And he said, then we just finished the reading of the Torah. All these three things, bam, 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 and then the attack. He said, which leads me to believe, he said, and I'm not saying that God did this. He said, I'm just saying God's kept his part, but have we kept our part? Have we really, and I was like, ooh. And he wasn't saying God's bringing judgment, but he was basically saying like, we expect God to show up for us, but do we show up for God? 
Are we keeping our part of the covenant? Are we keeping our part of the deal? Now, this guy's a Messianic Jew, so he believes in Jesus. So, and I'm like, okay, and the first thought that I had is like, are we entering into the judgment? What, did the, what does the Bible tell us that God's going to judge first? Okay, do you, do you understand the translation of the church? Israel. He's going to judge Israel first. Now, we say, does that mean everything bad? He's saying, no, no, no. Judgment sometimes can be just showing you where you've made errors, right? Um, you can judge your kids all you do. They'll say things, and you go, mm, I'm judging that is a lie, right? And what's it about? It's about correcting your kids, so you want them not to do those things. So it's not like God letting these things happen as much as it is the people who have not been praying, who have not been seeking God's face, who have not been, and all of a sudden this calamity happens happens and we go where's God and he's like I'm, st I'm still over here in this you know y'all kick me out man <laughs> you know it's by my mercy that I've kept you alive this long right and so when I say judgment don't hear the wrong wrong thing we're going to talk about judgment later but don't hear the wrong thing that I'm saying that God's you know mad and he's shaking a fist at him and stuff no I'm just saying we want God to show it for us but we're not willing to show it for God right and we've made all kinds of excuses. Well, he's okay with this. He's okay with that. Here's the thing. <clears throat> the Bible's very clear. Obedience is better than sacrifice. We hear that and we go, yeah, that's true, man. But what does it mean? It means he wants you to be true to his word, true to what it says, and not sacrifice. How do we do that? Uh, hey, man, uh, if y'all need some toilets cleaned down there at the church, I'll be more than happy to, you know, Oh, y'all need somebody to drive the bus? Oh, you, and, and we get so busy doing the, all the good things that we start thinking that we're justified, right? It's not about works, right? It's about being in love, right? In this crazy marriage contract. We're going to talk about the Ketubah Sunday that's this, that God's bringing to us and saying, hey, and here's the thing. When they sat down and, and figured this out, so I told you that in the ketubah, the dad goes, the, the son, you guys got to come back Sunday, forget the whole deal, okay? So the dad of the, the, the groom's dad, he goes to the bride's house. So the son, so um, let me back up. An arranged marriage happens, okay? It's not arranged like you and I think. The boy and girl, they meet eyes and they're like, ooh, I think she's pretty. I like the way she looks. And he, she says, ooh. He's got some muscles, right? And so they kind of like, you know, hey, hey. But they don't, quote, unquote, date, right? They just, they kind of like each other. <clears throat> so the dad goes back to, or the boy goes back to his dad and says, I think I found this girl. Now, what's interesting is this. In the ancient day, the marriage was not about a man and a woman coming together. It was about two families coming together. Two families. So <clears throat> the groom, his dad would go and he would knock on the prospective bride's house. So the dad would come and he would look out the door and he would see this male suitor. And he would tell the girl, hey, and she would peek out. And she'd say, that's him, dad, that's him, that's him. So if he did not open the door, that was the son and the father's um, cue she don't want you. She don't like you. She checked no. Here's the note back, okay? 
If they open the door, that was the invitation. That was salvation. Okay? And pretty much immediately, there was a cup that was shared. And he would offer it to her. There again, she has a choice not to receive the cup. Maybe she peeked out and she had some sleepy in this eye or something, right? And when the door got open, she said, ah, he's short. Or whatever, right? <laughs> Steve's like, man. <laughs> Millie says, I like short people and I cannot lie. <laughs> but she might, she, if she refused the wine, that was her saying no. Can I just say this? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm not trying to be in a place that says, ah, but we have talked about the Calvinist idea. Remember, we talked about Calvinism, Arminianism, and open theism, okay? The Calvinist idea is that you have no choice in the salvation process. God picks you. He chooses you. He points you out and says, you're it, and that's it. The Bible is clear. In this marriage contract, a woman had the ability to say no. She didn't have to open the door. Revelations, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man open the door, I will come in with him. And he, I will sup with him. That means drink. That don't mean like what's happening, okay? What's up, right? Y'all's going to have to have a different Bible. <laughs> sup, you know. Man, I sup with Jesus, dude. And then they would have a meal. And we'll see later that the meal was a part of this. Huh? Yeah, they would have supper. Yeah. And, they would, and there was even parts of the supper that had semblance to it too. It's an amazing picture. Right? And so, anyway, all that. So this beginning of this commitment started there. Okay? And it, it's just, it's fascinating. There's no way we can cover it in, you know, one day. So I'm going to give it at least two days, two Sundays to cover I thought about, Lord, do I need to say, like, current events? Like, what's going on? What's your heart what, towards Israel, whatever? And he was like, they've got enough. They've, they've got enough information. There's some stuff. People ask you if, they're, if they need to, whatever. Let's do this. Okay, let's do it. So we're going we're gonna to keep on talking about the marriage covenant. Um, and then in that, the commitment that those two people would make to one another. But it was all spelled out. You have an amazing ketubah. Right here, okay? And some of you are going to go home and look up, like, what is a ketubah, all right? It is the marriage contract, all right? K-A-T-T-U-B-A, or K-A-T-B-U-A-H. B-U-A-H, yeah, ketubah. Um, yes, it's a marriage contract. They still use it today. Um, that's, that's not accurate. A lot of people still use it today. Um, Non-traditional... Uh, Jews and traditional Jews. So, but this commitment thing, why is it important? If we're not committed to the gospel, if we're not committed to this, then we're going to live very lazy. Very lazy. We will not experience some of the things God has for us. Do you understand that the covenants are to show us that there is progressive steps in the kingdom? You come in saved. The thief on the cross, when we get to heaven, he's going to be there, in my opinion. He is not going to be one of those that's going to be in charge of a thousand. <laughs> okay? He's going to be one of those that's smiling and his teeth are going to be so white. Be like, how'd you chip your tooth? Dude, that's how I got in here. I got in by the hair of my teeth, man. 
<laughs> I can just see, y'all see those action movies where the guy's running and he slides and the gate comes down, just as his head clears, bam, right? I can see these gates going, and people are running, right? <laughs> Some of them are going to make it. Some of them ain't. But that's what, that's what I'm saying is that there's a hierarchy in heaven. Okay, the Bible's clear about that too. Some's going to be over tens, some over hundreds, some over thousands. We're going to rule and reign with him, right? And guess what? John 10, or John uh, 5, 4, 5, I can't remember, says that this is eternal life, to know him. What are we going to be doing in heaven? Getting to know God. So you might as well start now, <laughs> all right? Get a head start on everybody else. There are people that are sitting in chairs right now that have been in churches for 40, 50, 60, 70 years and they don't know the first thing. All they know is about being saved. I got fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. But they don't know anything about being a friend. They don't know anything about inheritance and they sure don't know anything about a wedding. They just know that it was mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> Say it. To sit in a church? No. Oh, okay. All of those things? So, so someone, like, you say, you know, says a prayer or whatever, but that okay. person still may not have that relationship. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Now, how does the Bible say we become saved? We get saved by grace through faith, right? We take the blood covenant. We take that first cup. We're saved. The Holy Spirit seals us. The man on the cross. The man who is in church and he says, man, today's the day for me. I need Jesus. And he says yes to him. Gets in a car wreck on the way home and he dies. He didn't have a chance to be a friend, know about his inheritance or know about the marriage, right? Um, I'm not talking about, yes, there are people that, man, I didn't want to say this. Um, yeah, you've been taking Myra's spot. She's listening. She said, I've been listening and I'm saving all my, so Myra, uh, okay. Um, Taking the Lord's name in vain. Most of us have grown up to know that it's saying um, that, that God's a dammer, right? Or Jesus Christ and not mean it, you know, in any particular spiritual way, okay? Do you understand what vanity is? It, it is emptiness. That is one of the definitions. Worthless, Right? When you use God's name in vain, can I tell you who I think probably the most? Users of God's name are Christians. Well, God says, and yet they live diametrically opposed to that, right? And it's like, you're using God's name in vain. There's no worth, there's no value to it. You're telling me that God can do all these things, and yet it's not even evident in your life. And I'm not talking about perfection. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about somebody that messes up. We all fall and skin our knees, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is vanity, to use the Lord's name in vain. 
would to be use the, the Lord's name for your advantage. Okay? When I need him, he's there. Some of you probably have friends like that, right? When I say friends, Facebook friends, right? But like, they're all party hardy, right? But then somebody dies in the family or something like that, and they're all about, where are God? He's good. And it's like, really? I mean, that's the only time you call out to, to God is when you got calamity or problems in your life or whatever. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Most people probably couldn't even tell you where Israel is on the map. <laughs> is that up past New Jersey? But, and that's, I remember I, I got on a ship one time. Um, they called us up. Um, this is before we had all the cell phones and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they would, what they called, page you out. I didn't have a pager, but they would put out a, um, um, a message, report back to duty station, whatever. So I had a bag packed. I had a, bad, a bag that was packed at all times. And Sherry said, where are you going? I said, I don't know, they're calling us out. So, um, so when I was in, to give you a little bit of background, um, we transitioned a lot of stuff. So we shot 45s and we transitioned to nines. We had a, um, a machine gun, a 60 cal, and we transitioned to the saw. We had Willis Jeeps and we transitioned to the Hummers. So there was a lot of movement going on in the military at that time. So anyway, we had a backpack and we were part of what they call a MU, uh, Marine Expeditionary Unit Special Operations Cable, MUSOC. And so we had a backpack and they said, hey, we need you to come back. So we did. And they said, tomorrow we're going to be leaving. Um, so you need to go get all your deuce gear, get all your battle gear, da, da, da. And we're like, okay, well, this has happened before, right? It's all exercise. So anyway, long story sh short, um, Sherry says, where are you going? I said, I don't know. And so I said, okay. I said, I'll probably be back tomorrow or whatever. Well, uh, 33 days later, I came home, but we got on a, they, they put us on a helicopter and they flew us out to a ship, which wasn't uncommon. We landed us, got us off, disembarked us, and the helicopter flew off. And so for like four or five hours, we're just scrambling around, getting in our birthing area and all that kind of stuff. There's a reason they call it a birthing area. And you Navy guys, anybody Navy in here? It, yeah, it's about this big. <laughs> it's about that long. It's about that. And you have a, a net. And you always find out the guys that didn't secure their net when they went to sleep because when the ship pitches, they go, boom, boom, they fall out. So it literally is to come out of that, you have to birth yourself, right? So but anyway, we're there. And so we get mustered up to the top deck and our CEO says, hey, listen, uh, something's popping off over in Panama, Panama and we're going over to squash that. And we're like, oh, so they start talking about real bullets and real hand grenades and all this kind of stuff. And everybody's like... Oh, hey. And what's interesting is there were several guys who was like, hey, um, man, did y'all remember that little Bible they gave us in boot camp, that little Gideon Bible? You know? I was like, yeah, you want that thing now, huh? It's like, it's a little bit too late, right? Now, just the night before, party, party, right? Everything's kosher, everything's good. Right? But then it's like, oh, wait, where is God? To me, that's what my professor was saying, right? Like, have we been good sons and good daughters? I mean, are we expecting God to protect us when yet we don't even live as good sons and good daughters? You can call it judgment. You can call it whatever you want. I'm just saying, none of us in here, if we had a son that did like that, we would be like, you know what? <laughs> oh, man, you... On the contrary, we would not be good parents if we did not correct that kind of behavior, right? And so, in that, we go, oh, man. So these guys were wanting these little New Testament Bibles and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, maybe it'll stop a bullet or something, right? I don't know, maybe. But to your point, yes, there are going to be people that are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? Well, what did you do it for? 
You did it for your own good. You did it for your own pleasure to build your name up. It wasn't for the kingdom. You're going to be like, go away. I don't even have a relationship with you. That's going to be sad. I mean, like I said, that's probably the scariest verse in the Bible that I read. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you this? Um, if you look at that and translate it out, and I just, you jog my memory. One, there was a, a gentleman that was talking about this one time. He was, he was preaching on this, and he translated this out, and he said, here's the deal. It's saying that people who were not in covenant relationship with God could still cast out demons, pray for the sick, and whatever, because God's word's so strong, Right? And yet, they're doing it, and we're supposed to have relationship and covenant, and we're not doing it. And I was like, oh, man. It's like, I'll put my toes back a little bit right there because that kind of hurt, <laughs> right? <laughs> but if you want to be committed, guess what comes with commitment? A little bit of, little bit of pain. I had a lady tell me. She said, I'm really struggling. And she said, I love Jesus, but I just don't trust people. Nope, you don't love Jesus because the Bible tells us that if we love Jesus, we have to love people. And guess what? When you love people, you make yourself vulnerable to be hurt. It happens. It just happens. Every one of us in here have been hurt, and you most deeply get hurt by who? Somebody that loves you the most. (laughs) Your husband says something. Well, no, your wives say something to you, right? I know. Oh, man, yeah. There'll be a collection after this. But, you, you know, we, we say things because we feel like we're so close that we can, we can pop things off, right? And it's like, no, I still have to have the same attitude. Remember, Jesus told me that I'm supposed to love my wife like he loved the church, and he gave his life for it, right? But when we go through this marriage covenant thing, you're going to be like, oh, my goodness. What in the world, right? It's, it, I'm telling you, it's good stuff. So anybody got anything else? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your mercy, your love. And Father, we do. We pray for the people of Israel right now. Lord, as uh, this war is raging on, Father, we understand it to be good and evil. And so, Father, we're asking for um, your hand upon that Israeli nation, those Israeli people. Father, we ask to those that are um, caught in the crossfire, if you will, those people who are uh, we have brothers and sisters in in um, uh, Iran and in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and Lebanon and Syria. They're, they're Christian believers there. Father, we ask that you protect them as well. Father, we ask that um, this evil that has been perpetrated, this Hamas and this Hezbollah, Lord, that they would be um, stamped out. That, Father, they would not rear their head against Israel or any other nation. Father, we thank you for your mercies. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word, and it is true, it is right, and Father, it is your justice that is coming. You are the right judge. You are the only one to judge, Lord, and we thank you for it. So, Father, we ask um, in this uh, time and in this moment that, Lord, when these Israelis, when they need to lay their heads down and rest, Father, we ask that that, that just that perfect peace would come, Lord.